You know, I really like that song, Beautiful Jesus, Beautiful Savior. You know, the world waited for thousands of years before we could actually hear the voice of God. Because Jesus is God. And we've had the scriptures, and they're inspired by the Holy Spirit. But when Jesus spoke, you heard the voice of God. These were the words of God spoken to man. We started early in this year going through Christ's Sermon on the Mount. That's Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And the first Sunday of every month I've been sharing from those verses. And today we will start with chapter 7, the Sermon on the Mount, and these are the words of Christ. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would send your spirit to, to uh, enlighten us, to speak to us, to reveal your truths to us through your very words. In your name we pray. Amen. Jesus said, judge not, that you be not judged. For by what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And by what measure you meet to others, the same measurement will be met to you. And how can you discern a, a speck in your brother's eye when, behold, there's a, a log, a big stick in your own eye? And how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when, behold, there is a log in your own eye? He goes on to say, first, take the log the stick out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck that's in your brother's eye. Do we ever judge people? Have you ever judged someone for something they did or something they didn't do? God says, do not judge. Now, we can judge deeds... We can judge if a person does something that's, that's criminal. We can judge if a person does something that's rude or inconsiderate. We can judge the deed. But God says, do not judge the person. Do not judge the doer. You know, you could go into the worst prison and find the worst criminal in that prison... And if you listen to his or her story from the time they were babies, you could understand, I could understand exactly why they were there. It doesn't excuse their actions, but we can understand. We can understand their actions. People are a product of their environment, and we all come into this world born in sin born in trespasses and sin, born with a DNA called pride, self-sufficiency, wanting to be like God, not in righteousness, but in power and position activity, not in the goodness of his being, but in the, not in the, the goodness of his personality, but in the greatness of his being. We come into this world with no appetite for God, but we do have an appetite to be worshipped. So men act out in many, many ways, many ways, to get attention, to get love, to be recognized. And some of us act out in very bad ways. But God says, don't judge. Now, why does he say, don't judge? Well, because you know what? Every one of us were running to hell as fast as we could get there. 
And one day Jesus put his foot out and tripped us. Because it's by grace are we saved by faith. And grace means God breaking in and acting upon us. Doing something for us that we can't do. By grace we have been saved through faith. And even that faith didn't come from us. It says it's the gift of God. God gave you, God gave me a gift. He gave you and I the gift that we could hear the gospel, ears to hear. He gave us the gift that we had a mind to understand. And then after we heard and understood, he gave us the gift to trust him and to receive that. And it was not of ourselves. If you are sitting here today as a believer in Jesus Christ, the only reason you're sitting here, the only reason I'm standing here, is because Jesus captured you. Jesus captured me, captured you. And if there's anyone sitting here this morning who has not received Christ as their Savior, I pray that he would give you the grace today. That he would capture you. He would capture your heart. He would give you ears to hear, mind to understand, and faith to believe in him. For whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. So as far as all those who are not believers, there's no reason we should judge them ever. Because there, by the grace of God, we're not doing the exact same thing ourselves today. It's only by the grace of God. Paul tells us in Corinthians, to every man there's given a measure of grace according to the gift of Christ. Every man is given a measure, a portion of grace according to the gift of Christ. Now, remember what grace is. Grace empowers us to do the will of God. So let's say I have a whole swimming pool full of grace. But I only draw upon 50% of that grace. But because I've got a whole swimming pool of grace, my life looks pretty good. Even though I'm at 50% capacity because I'm not abiding in him. But then we find another brother who has a thimble full of grace and he is at 99% capacity but you know what his life doesn't look very good he doesn't have much grace now we don't understand why God gives more grace to one than another God is good but God is not fair he makes some people tall some people short some people beautiful some people ugly some people sick God is not fair, but God is good. And we're told that he gives grace as a gift according to, he measured it out to each person. But this is why we should never judge another person because we have no idea how much grace that believer has. No idea. And we may be sitting over here with a bathtub full of grace or a swimming pool full of grace and we're looking real good and this other person has little grace. And he looks bad. God says, just don't judge. Don't go there. Jesus goes on to say, if you see a speck in your brother's eye, first remove the log from your eye or the big speck in your eye before you try to help and fix your brother. Now let me ask you a question. You know, have you ever tried to take a Humanly speaking, have you ever tried to take a speck out of someone's eye, your child's eye? Do you know the eye is about the most sensitive part of the body we have? All these nerve endings are right there suspended in front of us. 
to take a speck out of another person's eye, even if you had tweezers, you would be in danger of doing what? Poking out their eye. And you would have to have a very hand that just didn't move, a steady hand and a wonderful eye. Okay, how many times have you found yourself with a speck in your eye? Can you see if you've got a speck in your eye? Even if it's the smallest speck, it, it makes everything blurry. Now, what Jesus is saying is he that if you've got something in your eye and everything's kind of blurry and hurting you, this is not a time for you or I to try to do surgery on another person's eye. We need first to have that eye cleared, possibly through our own tears, before we can have a steady hand and an eye that can take that speck out of our brother's eye. Okay, so let's talk about specks in our brother's eyes. Most of the time when we want to take a speck out of our brother's eye, it's because that person is doing something we don't like. Or they're doing something, or they're not doing something we don't like. They're not saying thank you. They're not grateful. They talk all the time. They never listen. And you know what? It really brings us dis-ease. What that person is doing really bothers me. It really bothers me. It bothers me so much that it makes my hand shake. And it bothers me so much, I just want to go to that person and say, hey, you need to stop doing that, or you need to start doing that. But what is all that about? Is that about that person, or is it about me? You know what? It's really not about that person. It's about me. Because that person is doing something or not doing something that is really causing me dis-ease, discomfort. But why is it causing me dis-ease and discomfort? Because I'm not abiding in Christ. I'm abiding in something or some circumstance that this person is disrupting by their behavior. And I just want to fix them so I have peace. Does that make sense to anybody? I just want to fix them so I have peace. It's not about them. It's about me. Well, what Jesus is saying is, hey, you need to confess before me that your peace is circumstantial. And, you're, and this person, what they're doing or what they're not doing is, is causing a circumstance to break, that you're holding on to, that you're looking to for your peace, and you must confess that. I must confess that. Father, I confess that when he looks at that cell phone, instead of looking at me, that I just want to pinch his head off. <laughs> I confess that when this person pays no attention to me, or when I give them my counsel and they don't heed it, it really bothers me. Okay, I confess, Father, that I'm finding my peace and my security not in you, but in circumstances and what people will do and what people won't do. And I ask you, Holy Spirit, to convict me of that. And as I'm convicted, I might even weep. I might mourn that I have allowed myself to be controlled by another person's behavior. And that weeping can take that speck out of my eye.
okay, once the speck is taken out of my eye, do I feel a compulsion to go fix that person? Do I feel compulsed to just say, you know, you need to quit doing that? No. There's no compulsion because I am at peace. I'm good. No matter what that person does or doesn't do. So now I'm actually in the perfect position to help that person. But notice, what's the difference? What's the motivation? I really want to help that person. It's not that I want to be helped because this person gets fixed. And then I can go to that person in love, in love, not in anxiety and frustration. I can go to that person in love and say, hey, this little speck might be hurting you. Let me help you with it. And you know what? That person will feel very protected. Very protected because they sense the love of Christ. They sense the peace of Christ in me when I come to them with no motive other than wanting to help them be healed. But on the other hand, if I come frustrated with their behavior, with a handshaking like this, they don't feel protected. They feel corrected. And as soon as a person feels corrected, what happens? All these barriers go up to protect themselves. The same words, if a person feels love, they feel protected. And if they don't feel love, they feel corrected. So, brothers and sisters, before we go talk to a person, a brother or sister, about that speck in his eye, be sure that that speck in his eye does not cause you or I frustration or dis-ease. Because if it does, the problem, Jesus is saying, is first with you. Take care of ourselves. Get free. Get free from what that person's doing or not doing. And then we're safe to go talk to them. If God so leads. And we're free not to. Jesus goes on to talk about asking and receiving. He goes on to talk about loving and caring. The whole Sermon on the Mount is instruction in righteousness. So first he says, remove first the speck in your own eye, and then you see clearly to remove the speck in your brother's eye. Judge not that you be not judged, for by what judgment you judge, you shall be judged. And how can you behold that speck in your brother's eye when there's a log in your own eye? He goes on to say, do not give holy things to dogs. Do not cast your pearls for pigs, or they will turn on you and tear you and trample you under their foot. Aren't those strange verses? Don't give holy things to dogs. Don't cast your pearls before the swine. What's he talking about? Well, he's talking about when you and I meet an unbeliever who wants to criticize God, who wants to criticize, who wants to make fun of our faith. And what he's saying is if you meet a person who is wanting to be critical 
of your faith or my faith, wanting to be critical of Christ, wanting to be critical of the gospel. He's basically saying, don't get in an argument with that person. Don't argue with him. Don't argue with him. Because the truth of Scripture, the, the beauty of Christ is precious. And you don't need to argue about it. You don't need to argue about it. So, where's the role of apologetics? Well, it's probably not on a one-on-one -on -one basis. If a person is a seeker, if a person wants to know and they have questions, well then, apologetics is wonderful. And you can give them a reason for the hope that lies within you. You can give them discerning conversation. You can help them come to Christ. But these are people who Father is already drawing. But really the role of apologetics is before groups of people where a person will get up and have a great argument for the gospel and for the cause of Christ. That's where apologetics really work. But on a one-on-one -on -one basis, if a person is hostile to the gospel, they're wanting to criticize Christ, they're wanting to criticize the gospel, Jesus says, don't go there, don't take that which is precious and lay it before swine. Then he says, ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and the door shall be open. Ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and the door shall be open. How do we ask? How do we ask God? Well, the most typical way to ask God is through prayer. We ask God through prayer. Have you ever asked God and not had your prayer answered? Well, you know, there's two legitimate answers for every prayer. Yes and no. So the scripture says if to delight ourselves in the Lord and he will give us the desires of our heart. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desire of your heart. Now, the first time I heard that verse, I was a young guy, and I thought, boy, I really like that Ferrari. So I'm going to go delight myself in the Lord so I could get that Ferrari. But that's not what that scripture means. It means as we delight ourselves in him, as we abide in him, then he downloads into us his will in form of a desire. And then we actually desire what he wills. And then he answers that prayer. And he gives us the desires of our heart. And when you and I pray for something and he doesn't answer, oftentimes the reason he doesn't answer is he knows that this is something we want to delight in. We want to delight in this thing and this is why we want it so much. So we can delight in it. And God says, hey... If I give you that and you delight in it, you won't delight in me. So oftentimes he has to say no to us, the things that we really want, but why do we really want them so much? Because we haven't had our needs met in Christ, but we're looking to have our needs met in that promotion, that new house, that new car, that new this, that new that, this relationship, that relationship. And he says no. His no is always loving. He cares for us. He doesn't want us spoiled. In fact, 
told, James, is you don't have, you have, you don't have because you haven't asked. And then when you ask, you ask with the wrong motives. So first of all, brothers and sisters, we need to learn to delight ourselves in the Lord. That means to look to him for our peace, our rest, our truth, our life, security, solace in him and him alone. And then when that happens, when he becomes the, the center of our affection, then he will download into you, download into me his will in terms of desire. Ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. And how do we seek? How do you seek to know the will of God? Well, one of the best ways is Scripture. Scripture shows us, Scripture tells us what His will is. Scripture instructs us. Scripture leads us. Scripture gives life. It encourages us. Seek through the Word of God. Are there any other ways we can seek? Seek through the fellowship of believers with one another. We're told where there is a multitude of counsel, there's safety. Where there's a multitude, where you have many counselors, there's safety. And in a body like this, we have brothers and sisters who have been through things that you and I haven't gone through yet, but they have counsel. They have experience. You know, um, you hear the story of the young banker, young Harvard graduate, MBA, and he goes to this uh, top investment banker in New York, and he says, I understand you always make good decisions. And the old man kind of smiled at him, and the young MBA graduate said, well, how do you make good decisions? And the old banker said, well, experience. And then the young man said, well, how do you get experience? And then the old banker smiled and said, bad decisions. And there's some people in this congregation that have made some bad decisions who would love to share those with you if you ever asked them. And there's some people in this congregation who made some good decisions and great outcomes. And so within this body, we have a wealth. We have a wealth of instruction and experience, cultural diversity, so we can learn, we can seek through the word, we can also seek through fellowship of one another. And we can seek through the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, I leave my spirit, he will lead you into all truth. He will bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So, a lot of us aren't used to praying to the Holy Spirit or asking this Holy Spirit to show us things, but it's a very legitimate thing to do. Holy Spirit, give me insight. Holy Spirit, reveal your will to me. Holy Spirit. You know, the Holy Spirit is a real person. He's a part of the Trinity. He's the third person of the Trinity. When I grew up as a boy, I learned about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Scriptures. <laughs> Father, the Son, and the Holy Scriptures. And one of the reasons was because the Holy Spirit at that time was called the Holy Ghost, and nobody wanted to talk about the Holy Ghost. But brothers and sisters, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and it's the Holy Spirit's job, it's His task to comfort us, 
to, to give us wisdom, to give us insight, to instruct us, to lead us. And we talk about that being bothered by somebody else and what they're doing and what they're not doing. Holy Spirit, show me what, what I'm abiding in that this person disturbs so much. Holy Spirit, show me why I'm so disturbed by what that person does or doesn't do. So we can seek through the Word, through the fellowship of one another, and through the Holy Spirit, asking specifically for the Spirit to lead us and guide us. Ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find, and Jesus says, knock, and the door shall be open. Now, what do we knock on? What is knocking? Okay, we knock, we knock on the door through our obedience. Obedience, obedience opens the door for God to reveal his will to us, his personality, and his very life. I've got a 14th century mentor who says, basically, if one heart is yielded and obedient to God, he can receive more revealed truth in five minutes that can be learned in the schools in 10 years. It's when God shows you, when God shows me something, and we obey that, it's at that point that we basically are carried right into the throne room of God, and the life of God fills us and flows through us. It's like a, it's like a vow. The second you and I obey God, it unleashes His will into the universe. It's amazing. We don't have to go do something. I really like what Mark was talking about. You know, we tend to have these resolutions. I want to go do this. I want to go do, do more. <laughs> Let's resolve to become. Let's resolve to become all that Christ saved us to be. And what did Christ save us to be? He saved us to be just like he was. A man, even though he was deity, as a man, he never called upon his deity. His every temptation was to call upon his deity. But as a man, he never called upon his deity, and he lived this life of total dependence and obedience to the Father. And when that happened, the life of the Father, the deity of the Father, flowed through Jesus. And when you saw Jesus, Jesus says, the works I do are not mine, but the Father's who sent me. The words I speak are not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Jesus was the creator of the universe, but he was the most uncreative man who ever walked the face of the earth. He just took dictation all day long. As you and I, by the grace of God, say yes to him in obedience, this unleashes the life of God through us. He gives us his mind, his wisdom, his understanding, and most important, he gives us his very life. His love, his joy, his peace, his patience, his kindness, his goodness, his faithfulness, his meekness, his self-control. Now, I'm just one fruit, and then we're going to stop. Patience. Patience. Have you ever prayed for patience? You know what patience is? Patience, most of us think, patience is what we're praying for. It's, it's impatience to control our impatience. So... Father, give me patience with that person. But we're talking about basically this is impatience out of control. If you and I really have patience, if you and I have the fruit of the Spirit of patience, what that person is doing doesn't bother me at all. It doesn't bother me at all. So we're not praying, Father, give me patience to sit in this room with this person for one more hour. 
That's impatience under control. True patience is, it doesn't bother me at all. That's a fruit of the Spirit. And all the fruits of the Spirit like that, they are absolutely supernatural. They supersede the natural. And they have nothing to do with us. They have everything to do with the life of God being manifest in you and in me. Now, hopefully next time we'll finish up the Sermon on the Mount. As we close this, he says, Ask, and you shall be given. We ask through prayer. Seek, and you shall find. Seek me, he's saying, through Scripture, through one another, through the Holy Spirit, and knock, obey, and it shall be given to you. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for beautiful Jesus, beautiful Savior. We thank you that he's given us beautiful words and a beautiful life. And Father, I pray that you would give us the grace uh, to, in, in 2016 to abide in you before every man and circumstance we find ourselves in, that every man and circumstance would be affected and infected by our relationship with you, that you would fill our cups with your very life, with your very spirit, till they overflow upon our husbands, our wives, our spouses, our parents, our friends, uh, all who our lives touch throughout the world, Father. We acknowledge that what the world needs now is not us, but Christ in us, the hope of glory. And may that be realized in 2016 as we abide in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.